Welcome to the Health Focus Podcast, brought to you by Memorial Healthcare, where we discuss current trends and topics in healthcare that are important to our local Shiawassee community. As always, we are coming to you from the Now Building and our podcast studio. I'm your host, Dr. Gregory Flermon, General Surgeon here at Memorial Healthcare. With me here today is Catherine Gosaini, a licensed social worker who focuses in the pediatric population. Today, we're going to be talking about anxiety in children and different age groups and what we can do to help those patients. Catherine, first, let me thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell our podcast listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the area? Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, So I was fortunate to join the team at Memorial Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine in October. Um, Prior to this position, I was a school social worker here in Chiawassee County for the past six years. And prior to that, um, much of my professional career has been focused on uh, children and adolescents. So I worked at Michigan State University while in grad school with a program that focuses on youth who have been in foster care um, and are now Michigan State University students and also experience with organizations serving children like Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Um, So I'm thrilled to join the team here and to uh, spend more time with patients um, in therapy sessions. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate that. I have a a child myself who has anxiety and has seen different social workers and things like that. So I know it's something we need in this community, and it's, it's very helpful. So anxiety, what causes anxiety in kids, and does that differ on their age or where the, you know, school versus not school, kind of explain that in general to us. Sure. So genetic factors can certainly contribute to anxiety. Um, Students and children who have a history of anxiety in biological family members are more at risk of developing an anxiety disorder. Kids with an anxious parent are around seven times more likely to have an anxiety disorder compared to children who do not have that family history. Um, And environmental factors are a really big piece and can factor into a child developing an anxiety disorder. So exposure to stressful and negative life events, things we call adverse childhood experiences, can contribute to the risk of developing anxiety. How can parents and caregivers help spot, you know, these signs and symptoms? I assume they're a little bit different in kids than adults, so... The average person might not realize what an anxiety attack is. And so kind of what what can we do to help diagnose these kids and get them to where they need to be? Right. That's a great question. So one of the biggest signs that a parent or a caregiver can look for is when a child does not outgrow the fears and worries that are typical in young children um, or when those fears and worries interfere with school, with uh, social activities, with, with home, with behavior. Um, Some of the signs and symptoms um, can be really similar for children of all ages and adolescents, but there's also some symptoms that can be pretty specific to older uh, kids and teens versus younger children. Um, So a few things that could be signs and symptoms of anxiety can include fear and worry, uh, trouble sleeping, irritability, anger, um, physical symptoms that aren't associated with other medical conditions like headaches, stomach aches. And a big kind of factor or I I guess a sign could be when children are asking fear-driven questions that get worse over time. So for example, it's very 
typical, appropriate for a child to ask, can that happen to us if they see something serious um, on the news, if they learn about a house fire, for example? What's not typical is if that child is continuing to fixate and obsess about it months later. So really the severity of how these worries are impacting kids can be a sign that it's time to get some help or to talk to someone about it. Um, So some signs and symptoms specifically in teenagers that can be helpful uh, to look for can be uh, trouble concentrating, withdrawing socially. Um, At that developmental stage, friends are such a critical part of um, a a teenager's life. So if they're withdrawing um, from friends and social activities, that's often a sign. Um, Avoidance, difficulty with new situations, a drop in grades, maybe refusal to go to school or having a hard time um, making it through the school day, sleep problems, also substance use can be a sign, um, and extreme self-consciousness or sensitivity to criticism. Excellent. Does this, some of those signs and symptoms, does it get confused a lot with other things like ADHD, personality disorders? Do you, do you see that as an issue where maybe we're over-diagnosing one thing and not addressing a real problem? It can be really difficult, I think, for parents and caregivers to kind of tease out um, what is normal, especially when you're talking about adolescents. You know, preteens, high schoolers oftentimes want to maybe spend more time alone or they may be more interested in being in their room than, you know, when they were younger. And so I've spoken with parents who have said, is this normal? Is this just a stage or a phase that's appropriate for their age? Or is this something more? And I think also some of these symptoms can be consistent with depression, with ADHD, um, or with going through a particular um, situation that may not be um, causing a disorder, so to speak, but going through like an adjustment period after a serious event or a big change in their lives. And so length of time can have an issue. If it comes and goes, it's not as serious where they perseverate on something like a death of a pet or death of a family member. If things are going on a lot longer than you would anticipate, would that be when you start looking for some assistance, whether to the pediatrician or somebody like yourself? Yes. So typically in children who do not suffer from anxiety, and of course these worries, it's, it's normal, right, to have worries come and go, um, but they go away. And one of the biggest differences with an anxiety disorder is that these don't go away. They usually increase over time if untreated. And so usually length of time. Now, different types of anxiety disorders can have a different age of onset. Okay. Um, so it can look different. Um, However, usually these are kids who have been described as worriers um, for much of their lives. So you're seeing different types of presentation as they get older where, oh, there's the worry ward as a kid and it manifests something different as they get older. Yes. Now you mentioned treatment. I would assume there's a vast, you know, array of what you can do modalities. How do you start when you, when somebody presents to you with a diagnosed anxiety, What's your process? How do you work them through that and get them to what treatment they may need? Sure. Um, So a great first step is starting with a primary care provider. So um, at Memorial Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine, um, patients may bring up to their provider, um, maybe at a well child visit, or a parent or caregiver may call and schedule a visit and say, hey, I really need to speak to our provider because I'm noticing changes. So that's not uncommon. And that's very helpful um, when they share that. Even if they're not sure 
how severe it may be, but to talk about that and to just mention things that they're seeing that may feel typical for their child, but may indicate um, some signs and symptoms of anxiety. And so typically the provider would, um, you know, talk with the parent. There's some assessment tools that they may use um, to determine and sort of screen do they have anxiety, how severe, what type. And then from there, um, often a patient will get referred to me for therapy if they're interested. Um, And that can be a really effective tool um, and a treatment option um, to kind of determine how severe it is, what type, and some ways to um, perhaps address and, and develop some tools to help them manage anxiety. So the goal is not necessarily to say get rid of anxiety and never have it again. That That's probably pretty improbable. Mm-hmm. Um, however, teaching children that they can have this toolbox of tools that they can use and empowering them um, to face the anxiety and to reduce the severity of it is really effective. So um, one of the I guess kind of gold star treatments is cognitive behavioral therapy, often called CBT. And basically that is a first line of treatment for children experiencing mild to moderate um, anxiety. It's an evidence-based practice and it's really effective for a lot of issues, not just anxiety. It can be used in anxiety, uh, depression, ADHD. Um, But when anxiety is high or it's impacting a child's ability to function, um, that can be helpful to help children recognize unhelpful thoughts and then learn how to change those and replace those. So oftentimes with anxiety, there's intrusive negative thoughts. And I think sometimes for anxious children, they're not always aware they're even having those thought patterns because that's become so normal for them. So it's recognizing those and replacing those um, with other helpful, positive thoughts. Um, There's also some strategies with CBT that um, through activities and through play, kind of depending on the age of the child that I'm meeting with, um, that I could help with. And it's, we also like help increase exposure if there's something specific that they may be fearful of um, and helping to kind of reduce that anxious response that they may have. Okay. Uh, So it sounds like medication's never first line as, as we learn with a lot of mental health does medication play a role in some kids, depending on age, depending on their response to the therapy? Yes, uh, for sure. So, and medication alone doesn't cure anxiety disorders either, um, but it can certainly help reduce symptoms. So um, there can be uh, several factors that would make a child um, a good candidate for medication, especially if they're having pretty severe anxiety. Um, It can be crippling to the point where, you know, can't get to school, are so anxious to go anywhere um, because of a crowd, things like that. And treatment is more effective if that anxiety is lowered. Um, And so that can be a very effective combination of therapy and medication. Typically, therapy is kind of that first line. And then if, if we're finding um, that maybe the child isn't responding in the way that um, we had hoped with therapy or if anxiety is just impacting them so intensely, um, then that's a discussion that um, myself and a primary care provider and parent Uh, would have along with the child. So I think what is really special and helpful about having um, a social worker embedded right in the clinic Mm -hmm. is that communication that can happen um, where with the, um, you know, team, we can kind of talk about what we're seeing in therapy, how they're responding, and also 
they have a direct line to their provider to discuss medication if that's needed. Excellent. That's, that sounds great. So COVID, have we seen an uptick with the lockdown, kids being stuck at home, not getting those normal responses? Are you seeing you know, more patients because of, you know, what's been going on the past three years? Yes. And I can tell you, um, in my previous role as a school social worker, I was in the high school setting and I noticed a huge difference um, and an uptick in students that were reporting anxiety or describing symptoms of anxiety following COVID. And often with the adolescent population, I noticed that was co-occurring with depression. And so while while the pandemic certainly, um, you know, had very different effects for everyone, um, what I noticed was children who were maybe predisposed to being anxious um, and had maybe some mild anxiety that really increased um, during the pandemic. And then adding in the isolation that came, um, especially for students that maybe had to be virtual students longer um, or were more isolated, uh, I noticed an uptick of depression and anxiety co-occurring. Um, and then I see that with children that I'm meeting with now um, when we're talking about when anxiety, kind of when the first onset was or when things really increased. Um, I've heard this uh, pattern of in COVID, it yeah. really increased. We isolated and, mm-hmm. and that's not good for little kids, especially. Um, one thing we've tried in, in our home is we've actually we started homeschooling. Do you see that as a, not necessarily a treatment, but something to help some of the overly anxious kids to get them out of certain settings to help kind of reset things? Or, you know, kind of what's your your viewpoint on that? You know, I think that is, of course, an individual uh, choice that each family has to make in a decision kind of based on um, some of the needs for their children, of course. Um, However, I did notice that uh, the children who um, were completely removed from the school setting while virtual and maybe experienced a lot of anxiety when they came back, um, I worked with some students who tried homeschooling and felt that that increased their symptoms. And so while that was maybe something, and it depends on the age, of course, Mm -hmm. and what else they're involved in. So if a child doesn't have social connections outside of school, if there are, um, you know, is not a lot of maybe support in the home, and they're then withdrawing and they're just expected, especially with the high school age, mm-hmm. it's very self-paced when you're talking virtual mm-hmm. schooling. And so I found that at that age, it was hard for a lot of students who were experiencing anxiety or depression to have that motivation to get up, log on and participate. Um, and so I think it can be a slippery slope because I think, um, you know, parents are really well-intentioned and wanting, of course, to make something that's uncomfortable for their child to disappear. But I think it can be, um, you know, an important thing that they can recognize how their child is feeling and validating that anxiety, but also not empowering it to increase. So if we're saying we're, we're going to remove that trigger for you altogether, is that giving that child an opportunity to develop skills and to practice, um, you know, some of those situations? So um, it kind of depends, I think. But there's certainly some children where they found that they do well in that setting. And if it can eliminate some of those triggers, that's great. But uh, my experience in the school setting has been that there's a lot of supports um, that if the school is aware of, they can be really helpful um, in designing 
something that could better meet the needs of an anxious child. Excellent. Uh, What type of extracurricular activities seem to work better for anxious children, whether it be sports, music? Is there a pattern where you see certain things help them more that parents can help guide or get their kids involved in? Sure. I think exercise is huge. Um, That physical activity is just wonderful in kind of whirling out some of that, that anxiety, Mm -hmm. but also socially that can be so helpful. So for um, a young person who has social anxiety, that can just be incredible that they're on a team and can go to practice and get to know someone new. And in many times it's less about the fact that, you know, they're playing baseball, Mm -hmm. at least for me as their therapist, than to say, wow, you're really able to have increased social interactions and practice some of those skills. Um, So I think any time that a child can get involved and engaged in something that they're interested in and and that's a great conversation I think for parents to have of what are you interested in and try to find something that can meet their needs it doesn't have to be sports it could be student council it could be getting involved in a, in a church or religious group it could be um, volunteering um, just something that can increase those connections around positive um, adults and other children and increase those social opportunities is huge and really important um, I think especially anytime you can add in though um, mindfulness so yoga, relaxation. Those are techniques that um, we share as well of, you know, developing um, some exercise and um, and some mindfulness um, can be very helpful as a treatment for anxiety as well. Excellent. So if somebody's out there listening and they think their kid, you know, or their child has some of these symptoms, where can they find more information or resources regarding this? Or, and how would they get in touch with you if they want to set up an appointment? Sure. Uh, so I think Talking to your child's primary care uh, provider is an excellent first step. Um, If you're listening to this and thinking, wow, this ticks a lot of boxes for my child, then you could certainly call and, you know, make an appointment with their provider to share what you're seeing and share some of your concerns, kind of discuss treatment options. Uh, So I am able to meet with patients of uh, Memorial uh, Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine. So Dr. Kidwell, Dr. Creighton-Sovis, Dr. Kramer, and um, Bethany, the nurse practitioner. And I see typically uh, five is about the youngest age where I'm finding that uh, therapy can be um, something that they're able to participate in at that age, but Mm -hmm. certainly willing to work with um, any family who may be experiencing um, some some anxiety or their children is. And I can also provide resources. So maybe um, in a child, they might not be ready or open to therapy, but maybe parents want to start with some... um, tips for, you know, parenting a child who's anxious or just education and learning more about it. Um, And then I collaborate with parents and um, children and making sure they're comfortable because especially if you're talking about meeting with anxious children, sometimes there is like a separation anxiety piece. And so really want to respect that. But that can also be a wonderful way, I think, to show and empower children to say, look, the first appointment you were really uncomfortable. You were right there with your parent, um, and now you can meet individually. And now, and I think that kind of gives a sense of um, empowerment to show they can use some of those skills right in our office, right in therapy. Um, so they would start with their primary care provider if they were a patient within our office, um, and then 
there's some really great websites on the internet and just resources for parents and families. Um, a few include uh, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. They have an anxiety disorders resource center right on their website, aacap.org. Um, there's also a great site called Worry Wise Kids. And that has books, a newsletter, uh, a discussion board. They have all kinds of resources broken down by specific types of anxiety. Um, and that is worrywisekids.org. Uh, Tamar Chansky, who wrote a great book about freeing your child from anxiety, started that site. And they have um, also, you know, freeing your child from obsessive compulsive disorder. And so each type of anxiety, um, they have specific resources for parents. And then the Child Mind Institute, which is childmind.org, and that has information about parenting, um, anxious kids, and then individual types of anxiety because it can look very different. You know, a child who struggles with generalized anxiety disorder is what we think of as a general worrier. Okay. A lot of the times they are really worried about performance grades, um, doing well in sports, and quickly can kind of go to that worst case scenario, what if, what if. Mm -hmm. Whereas a child with social anxiety, it could look very different. Um, they might not have all of those general worries, and it's very specific to social settings or crowds. Um, or a child with uh, separation anxiety. Oftentimes, I think people think that that's only for young children, However, that's not the case. Even adults could be diagnosed with separation anxiety and experience that. So treatment is really tailored to the individual needs and um, age, type of anxiety, severity, um, all of these factors are taken into account. But I think a great starting point for parents and families is to talk to their primary care provider and, you know, go to high-quality sites on the internet um, where they can find some resources. Because um, I hear often from parents who don't experience anxiety themselves that they're sometimes unsure how far to push their child in terms of helping to support them and not wanting to feed anxieties mm -hmm. and help them develop skills, but also wanting to respect their worries and meet them where they are. So I think there's some great tips and strategies that could be a good starting point for families on these sites. Well, I appreciate your time today. Is there anything else we didn't discuss you wanted to get out there to our community? Well, I just appreciate the time and the opportunity to uh, support so many of our young people here in the community. And I really appreciate all of the um, support that I hear from parents who recognize um, anxiety is real and it's really tough, um, you know, for for children who um, don't have the outlet. So I'm just grateful that um, as we learn more and can share more, that parents and families can have the tools they need to support kids. Catherine, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. So that thank brings you. us to the end of our episode. Again, thanks to Catherine for joining us today. And as always, thank you for listening to the Health Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to join us for future podcasts. Again, this is Dr. Flermone saying thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.